0: The Radulich and Broadcasting Network movie review group. I, I think we're a group, more so than a club. We don't charge dues. We don't have a house. And if you don't have a clubhouse, you can't really be a club. So the the Radulich and Broadcasting Network movie review group. I'm Robert Winfrey. Hi, everybody. Uh, tonight, Mark and I will be reviewing Pixar's latest movie, The Good Dinosaur. Uh, this... Look, guys. Sometimes I, you know, I joke that Mark and I are going to have reviews where we yell at each other, where we disagree. Uh, here's a quick preview. Unlikely to happen tonight. Uh, <laughs> Mark, go ahead and tell them why you and I are unlikely to disagree about this movie.
1: Um, this is a perfectly adequate film. Did not inspire a tremendous amount of uh, debate or discord. Um, and certainly not a tremendous amount of analysis. It kind of just is what it is, and it's fine. And, you know, Robert and I kind of both reached the same conclusion. It's like, yeah, it's uh, Forbes has an article that says, The good dinosaur is to Pixar what Ant-Man was to Marvel. So, like, that's a pretty good descriptor.
0: Well, I'm not sure the Pixar-Marvel analogy is completely aft, because Marvel has yet to actually fall on their face, and Pixar has Cars 2.
1: Boys love
0: Cars. I'm it's... not saying. I don't understand why. Cars 2 and the forthcoming Cars 3 are blatant cash grabs. I imagine <laughs> mandated by Disney.
1: Do you know how many cars my son has, and he's one?
0: Well, Boys... Again, I understand. I understand it. I mean, creatively, as a movie, okay. Cars 2 is we're, a we're monumental talking,
1: and utter failure. You, you're talking critically. And critically, the yes. Good Dinosaur is a very average movie. It looks gorgeous. It's probably the best-looking Pixar movie. In terms of in, in terms of pure aesthetic, I, I thought it was the only thing that was superior to Inside Out. In terms of story and everything else. Um, that you would do a critical analysis of, uh, Inside Out beats the shit out of this. And most of Pixar's... I mean, so it, it gets, it's getting a lot of comparisons to Monsters University, which, you know, you, you keep... Uh, and, and others keep complaining about Cars too. I would tell you Monsters University was markedly worse than Cars 2.
0: I would fundamentally disagree with you.
1: Are you kidding me? No. Hmm.
0: Cool. Cars 2 is a soulless, heartless, cash grab aimed at children. That is the sum right. total of what that movie is.
1: And, you, and what was Monsters University? Other than an, an opportunity. Monsters University
0: at least had... On the
1: Monsters Universe, on the Monsters uh, Inc. brand.
0: At least Monsters University had a legitimate story, had character arcs, had, you know, stuff that you actually cared about. Cars 2 was, hey, let's take Lightning McQueen, put him in France and make him a spy.
1: I love that idea. It sounds brilliant.
0: It Yes, but you also like Transformers.
1: <laughs> Boo! Plugs!
0: All right, lest we devolve into silliness, debating the quality of various Pixar movies, which Mark and I will probably do at some point, because why not? All right, The Good Dinosaur opened over the holiday weekend, opened Wednesday, Uh, so as to capitalize on the full...
1: it's currently only got $87 million worldwide on a $200 million budget, which sounds like, oh, my God, this thing is bombed. But it's still got a bunch of international markets to open in. It's going to be in theaters pretty much through the end of the year. So it's got plenty of time to make that money. And even if uh, it doesn't approach, I mean, it probably will, but let's just say it doesn't approach the $200 million that it costs, Yeah, with with kids' movies, especially the Pixar Disney type, um, there's rewatchability in space. Parents will buy their kids the DVD. So, um, yeah, releasing a movie, uh, releasing Uh, a movie at this time time of year,
0: the beginning Mm -hmm. or end is very different from the summer. The summer you have, if you're lucky, two weeks without major competition. That's if you're very lucky. At the end of the year, I mean, look, there's no other family movies out right now. I mean, the other thing you have is the Peanuts movie, which has been out for a couple of weeks. So there's very little, you know, there's very little competition within the market space. And it will hang around in theaters, again, the rest of the month, probably a little bit into January. There's very little that is going to push it out, especially in certain markets, you know, like where I live, for example.
1: let's have to talk about the weekend for a minute. Um, So here was your top 10 uh, for the weekend, um, November 27th through November 29th. So you have the Hunger Games, right, which is just walking away with the box office. It was number one two weeks in a row. Um, It's doing so well that my wife actually thought it was number one. (laughs) It had come out this past weekend. I'm like, no, that's weekend. We're on weekend number two with this thing. Yeah. Um, and it's still the it, number again, one movie. It came out over
0: Antarctica. the holiday weekend, so that Wednesday before
1: Thanksgiving. Um, did it? Oh, it came out... It released November 20th. I said it was a week before. Oh, okay. um, my apologies. Yeah, so... Uh, the Good Dinosaur came in at number two. Uh, the, so the weekend gross for The Hunger Games was $52 million. The Good Dinosaur was $39 million. I'm rounding, by the way. Uh, and then Creed came in third, which was about what was expected, at $29 million. Rounding out the top five, you have Spectre, which raked in another $12 million, and the Peanuts, which raked in another nine. To your point, the only other, um, God, Victor Frankenstein, which also debuted the same weekend as The Good Dinosaur and Creed, $2 million.
0: Yeah, that movie has bombed pretty hard. <laughs>
1: Which is uh, look as much
0: as we pre- for as much as we predicted that I feel kind of bad for it. Uh, I've some people whose perspective, even if I don't always agree with, I respect, have told me that it's actually entertaining at the very least. And again, I have no plans to see it in theaters, but uh, I might, you know, when it gets to the dollar theater around here, I might try to go see it just because. Again, apparently, it's at least a fun, entertaining ride. And I can respect
1: that. Um, so those are your top five. The Hunger Games, The Good Dinosaur Creed, Spectre, and The Peanuts movie. Um, so to your point, you know, if you're taking the kids Thanksgiving weekend, um, you know, if you were one of the crazy people who decided to go bre- breathe free air on Black Friday and, you know, amongst the masses, and you decide to go to the – you happen to go to the movies, you know, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, um, and you got kids, your choices were, the Good Dinosaur, or the Pe- or the Peanuts, which has already been out for a couple of weeks, or you know, The Night Before, starring. Um... That is not a kids' movie. <laughs> Just kidding. I came at number six, by the way, for the weekend.
0: It should have done lower. It's another one of those stupid Seth Rogen romance get drunk comedies. They're not funny, people. You
1: know, you know what's still making money and was and was two points higher than Victor Frankenstein, uh, The Martians. The Martian came in at number 10 over the weekend, made another $3 million. Look,
0: well, quality filmmaking in an uncontested space, and there is no competition for dramatic science fiction movies at the moment. It's going to be it fine is. until Star Wars comes out.
1: The Martian's killing it. $218 million total gross on a $108 million budget.
0: Yeah, that's going to be a big financial success for that studio at the end of the day.
1: 20th Century right. Fox, baby they're going to
0: all need right. it on, on to the good dinosaur
1: no let's talk uh, about more let's talk more money
0: we can in a bit let me at least do the plot overview
1: plot smart go ahead
0: all right uh, Pixar has this really great ability to take traditional kind of story outlines you know stuff that fits within a different genre and adapt it to whatever happens to strike the creative fancy of those people over there. You know, uh you talked about it, you know, the first Toy Story movie is about loss of faith. You know, by and large, uh, you know, to varying degrees with the different characters and aimed at various other characters, but fundamentally it's about the loss and the refinding of faith. You know, Ratatouille is about self-confidence and, you know, overcoming potential prejudice and stereotypes. You know, all of these, you know, kind of overarching themes that they can kind of twist around to whatever they want to do with it. And they do it very, very well. I mean, again, The Incredibles is still the best Fantastic Four movie ever put to film. By a wide margin, people, it's not that close. No, seriously, not that close. <laughs> the only thing that comes close is probably the unreleased Roger Corman version. And c- please oh, consider sorry. that for a
1: minute. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with the first Fantastic Four movie of that. Yeah,
0: Jessica Alba's in it, and she's just
1: kind of terrible. Jessica Alba is a nice pair of boobs. You leave that nice girl alone.
0: Uh, I disagree with your assessment. You're
1: wait a minute. Stop the podcast. You're going to sit here. You are a red-blooded American male. Yes, sir. Presumably presumably heterosexual, and you're going to sit there and tell me that Jessica Alba is not a nice set of boobs? I mean, I'm not talking about her acting ability here or or her presence as a human being. I'm saying, in no uncertain terms, Jessica Alba's sum total is she's a nice pair of boobs, and you're going to say no? How do you disagree with that?
0: I find it uncomfortable to be attracted to her because it makes me feel like a pedophile. She looks like a small
1: child. She's not though. Hang I'm, I'm going to a- do some math on it. you. You keep going with your analysis of a good dinosaur. <laughs> and I'm going to, and I'm going to take you off the hook for lusting at the Jessica Alba. Go ahead.
0: Um, well, again, I'm just saying I don't find her that attractive. I understand why other sure. people do. I just don't.
1: You are, you sir are a lunatic.
0: Um no, was, I'm she, simply very aware of my preferences.
1: What year are you what what year are you born?
0: Again, let's not do that, all right? I am well aware that that's not <laughs> the actual case, all right? I'm just she's saying
1: She was born in 1981.
0: Yeah, she's actually older than I am. I am
1: aware of this. Okay, all right, I'm dropping the subject.
0: She just looks like a small child.
1: All right. All right. I, I, I feel you getting uncomfortable. I can feel your sweat on me. So I'm moving on from that.
0: Uh, anyway, the point being that with the good dinosaur, Pixar took what is really just kind of a traditional uh, Western coming of age story and adapted it to fit within dinosaurs. And they did it very well. As far as that goes, uh, our main character, our protagonist, is Arlo. He is a brontosaurus. We're an apatosaurus. I think brontosaurus.
1: We'll go I think with it's that. I an apatosaurus is what he is. He's an
0: apatosaurus. Uh, okay.
1: Are we both saying the same thing pronouncing it differently? Yes, yes. apatosaurus.
0: Yeah, he's an apatosaurus. He is born onto a farm with uh, his father, mother, two siblings. Uh, The underlying premise of why dinosaurs are farming and speaking is that the asteroid that struck the Earth off the Yucatan Peninsula, you know, 60 million years ago, it missed. Now, this is – my only – let me get this out of the way before I finish the plot here. My only gripes with this movie have nothing to do with the movie itself. It has to do with uh, some of the science behind it. Which, again, is not an issue for a kid's movie. I am aware it's not a legitimate criticism. So please, don't yell at me. But dinosaurs have now evolved the ability to speak, and they are farmers or ranchers or meth heads in some cases. And, (laughs) yes, it it made me laugh, and you can share your joke. Uh, Anyway, Arlo is a very timid... Person, you know, a very timid dinosaur. He has trouble fitting in with his, you know, brother and sister who are adventurous, strong. He's the runt of the litter. Uh, his father, you know, keeps trying to. Not very long, because again, it, it's a Disney movie. One of the parents is going to die. That's how that works. Being a parent in a Disney movie is a very hazardous occupation.
1: There's at least <laughs> a fifty percent mortality die. rate. You're going to die. You're
0: going to die. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, they have created, there's a lot of, you know, kind of small symbolism in it. But while attempting to catch a small human that's referred to as a critter, uh, Arlo and his father are caught in a flash flood. Uh, His father, Henry, is killed. He now has to deal with some of the guilt about that and his fear of, you know, violent thunderstorms which is a pretty legitimate fear as far as the look there are there are legitimate fears and illegitimate fears being afraid of violent thunderstorms is a relatively legitimate fear moths clowns not so much uh anyway arlo finds this same critter again and chases him in you know a bit of emotional rage they wind up falling into the river and he is struck. He strikes a rock because apparently he was never taught how to properly, you know, go down a river with rapids. I shouldn't criticize him. It took me a while to blur. I don't know, but he strikes his head is rendered unconscious, avoids drowning somehow, uh, washes up quite a ways away from his home. Uh, The human, which is named, who is named Spot is not too far from him. Uh, now he has to get home, and he is, you know, lost in a strange land. But he comes to understand and accept the human is not being responsible for his father's death. They get along. Uh, they meet some cultist, fanatical pterodactyls that are, uh, you know, that follow this giant storm around, apparently, and you know, eat whatever is. Wounded by it, they also meet uh, some ty- some T Rexes because every dinosaur movie ever must have the Tyrannosaurus Rex that are ranchers. <laughs> well, because I imagine because you know ranching your own food supply is easier than you know raiding the local farm for a good Apotosaurus steak. I don't know. Uh, he helps them. He you know discovers a bit of his courage, finds his way back home. Uh has to say goodbye to the human spot right before he gets home because there's another uh family of humans, I believe they're referred to as Neanderthals uh in a couple of the reviews, so I'm not sure how far along the spectrum of human evolution we are at this point though again, don't yell at me if you're religious and don't believe in human evolution. I'm just quoting what you know the underlying themes of the movie here uh uh so they Bid their tearful farewell. Arlo returns home, having discovered his courage and, you know, effectively, you know, come of age. Since that, it's a coming of age story. Um, Mark, you touched on it when we you know, at the top of the show, but this is, I think, hands down the most, the best looking Pixar movie ever. I mean.
1: Okay. i to no,
0: make your points. I, I I'm going to throw it to you because I have some points to make about computer generated imagery that needs to be discussed in the context of this movie. All right.
1: So my initial reaction, um, both my kids. Uh, first of all, I always you know I bring my kids to these things, and um, my my son's not super good about sitting in the theater, but we figured since he's he's got a big thing for dinosaurs, you know Jonas with the, the dinosaur say roar what uh, he answers so we figured this would capture his interest and then when, when he saw the commercial for it he got very excited um he had a little trouble sitting through it at the end and he was kind of getting up and wanting to run around my daughter's reaction to it was when the father died she got very worried about myself and her mother and made a point of saying i don't want you to die too and she you know four almost five years old has a handle on what death is and uh, was was definitely uh, touched by that scene, um, and you know she ended up cuddling with my with my wife. Yeah, you know, when that was all said and done. Um, other stuff she saw, she liked. She liked a lot of the physical humor in it. Um, I had two thoughts when I left the theater. One, it's a gorgeous looking movie. It, it's probably one of the best looking animated movies I've seen in, in in a long time. I mean, when you consider. Where we've come in like 15 years with CGI. Now you can make the joke about Congo or the Phantom Menace, you know, looking like video games, um, to where we are now, where you, where you produce an animated feature which looks more realistic than the Phantom Menace in Congo. It, it was incredible. Um, the other predominant thought I had was this was the Lion King, and the only difference for me between this and the lion King was I liked Arlo more than I did Simba, you know, where Sim- Simba is a jerk. I thought um, Arlo was a more sympathetic character. So I, so I was more into his journey, but basically like, I mean, when when they go into that ravine and the, and the water comes, I'm like, well, the father's dead. <laughs> you see that coming a mile away. And I'm not that great at making predictions in movies. But I'm just like, yep, the father's gone. And, Now the son's going to be all, you know, go off on an adventure and, you know, and have to find his courage, which is fine. You know, I'm fine with a movie about, you know, a runt who has to find, you know, find his inner courage and, you know, and rise up to life's challenges. And what I liked about this movie is that they did much like my, my comments about Charlie Brown, they take you just to the edge where you start to, where, where you start to turn away from the character and stop so that you don't. So he's just cat enough, you know. He's just fearful enough where he's, you know, he's got a hurdle to overcome, an internal hurdle. But he's not so fearful that you just like, you know, what? I hope you drown in the fucking river. <laughs> you, you still root for this character, and the only really shitty thing he does is when Spot had an opportunity to go live with the, uh, I guess we'll call them Neanderthals the (laughs) Neanderthals um, he becomes very selfish and and possessive of Spot and says no we're going home and and denies him that opportunity but then at the end of the movie has a change of heart and and believes that Spot belongs with his family just as Arlo belongs with his and I thought that was great um the movie is a hundred minutes. It could have stood to be uh 10 minutes shorter. So it was a little long for a kid's movie. Um, I didn't think they. I just felt like they, they could have cut 10 minutes out of that thing. And it might've been a little bit easier for the other kids in the audience to deal with um, and, and say what you will about, you know, attention deficit disorder and a kid's ability to do a hundred minute film. There were definitely some lulls in the action that I could have done without. Um, so that was really m- my whole thing with the movie. Uh, to me, to, like I said, to me, it's another li- Lion King archetype with better characters. Um, I, uh, I enjoyed the idea of the dinosaurs sort of evolving, taking on the road to civilization, you know, farming, ranching, that sort of thing. I liked the adventure that Arlo and Spot went on. I thought the Methosauruses were great, and they're always. Been, I know they are velociraptors. I don't care. They're 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 um, they hillbillies
0: but, on meth. It's okay.
1: <laughs> so I enjoy, you know, I enjoyed all of that. I enjoyed the Tyrannosaurus Rex characters, one of which is played by uh, former Rogue Anna Paquin, um, glad she didn't get cut out of the movie this time. So I mean, but that's it. I mean, it's it's it was an average kids movie. Uh, if I didn't know that Disney produced this um, and the fact that it looked marvelous, I would have assumed it was a dreamscape. You know, it was a uh, dreamscape. No, that's a that's a dream dreamworks. System. Thank you. I would you know, you you could have convinced me it was a dreamworks picture. Um, you know, and, I don't think a, I,
0: I'm not quite there with you on that one, but I understand
1: your point. I mean, it was like I said, it was a perfectly average film. I have not been moved in any emotional way by anything dreamworks has put out. I have been entertained. I thought The Penguins of Madagascar was hilarious. But, you know, but I mean, like anytime I see a DreamWorks movie, you're not getting that sort of emotional heft that you get with a Pixar film. You know, like Toy Story 3 Inside Out, up the first 10 minutes of it at least. You know, that sort of thing. You, you know, I don't, I can't recall of a DreamWorks picture that made me feel that way. And this didn't either.
0: Um, what you react to emotionally is very much your own thing. I react, uh, personally speaking, I reacted a lot more emotionally to this than I did the inside out.
1: Really? Explain to me why. I don't know why. Take a little, for God's sake. Talk to Dr. Mark. I want to know. Hey, you, you are not, not my
0: Dr. doctor, <laughs> sir.
1: <laughs> I'm not a doctor at all. Um. I, no, in all seriousness, and I'm, not, and I'm really not trying to to um, be uh, I, I'm not I'm not trying to put you on the spot or anything, but uh, intrusive. But I'm curious, what about this movie spoke to Robert Winfrey that uh, that did not speak to Mark Rattledge?
0: Um, I couldn't tell you what didn't speak to you. I know that. Uh oh whoa. Okay, we're not gonna go down that road.
1: <laughs> this I mean, was it the the fearfulness of Arlo? Um was it the, uh, the, the no, relationship no. between the dad and him?
0: No, I think it had to do more with. Uh... Oh Jesus! Hello. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Hang on.
1: Do so I need to play music? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: we are experiencing technical difficulties.
0: Uh, no, no, it's. Uh, just you know, kind of a rough time of year. Oh, okay. And uh, just dealing with loss on. Oh God, I am not gonna break down on the air. I'm not gonna do it.
1: Okay, I I didn't mean to poke. Do we need to take a break? Nah, we're all right. Okay, we'll breathe.
0: Uh, It's just—it's mostly dealing with loss, I think, is what uh, kind of triggered within me. Okay. Because the emotions brought up in inside out are uh, displacement, are fear, are you know worried about worrying about finding your place under new circumstances, and those are easy for me. I mean, I, I don't, you know, this isn't my biography here or anything, but I moved around a lot as a kid. My dad was in the army in the, you know, late 80, late 80s, excuse me, to early 90s, and Bill Clinton decided to shut down, you know, military bases like it was going out of style. So I've, you know, before I was out of grammar school, I had lived in Utah, California, Washington, Arizona, North Dakota, Oregon, and then back to Utah. So I I had moved many times. I had dealt with the emotions associated with it. So a lot of the stuff that Pixar triggers, or that Inside Out triggers, excuse me, is stuff that I personally have dealt with. Many times in the past, I – again – I'm sitting in a theater, I'm not saying I don't react emotionally to it, but I have a handle on it. Okay. You know, I get, again, I understand, you know, a lot of Riley's emotions, I understood. But I don't, again, I know how to deal with it, I know how to process it, I know how to...
1: It's stuff I've already dealt with. Okay, so what nerve did the good dinosaur ping with you? you? You mentioned loss. So I'm, I'm assuming the bit with the father dying hits you in a place you don't like to talk about.
0: Uh not so much that. I mean, you know, no, my it was it was more. Um, oh man, <laughs> you don't get to bill me for this, by the way. <laughs> it's
1: perfectly fine.
0: Uh, no, it was more him saying goodbye to Spot.
1: Okay, gotcha. Admittedly, I, I got that—that that was the only part that I got a little teary-eyed. But it seems to hit you on a very personal level, um, which is interesting. Eh,
0: I deal with change very badly. Odd, uh, considering oh. you know how much I moved, but. Oh, you know, just with some of my issues, and again i'm i' I believe I'm undiagnosed Asperger's syndrome. I hate change, and you know death is as permanent a change as you're gonna get, so you know. I reacted very, very strongly to that.
1: Okay. Why don't we, um, unless you unless you've got a burning desire to keep going with this, why don't we shift and talk about the CGI? Because I know you had some stuff you wanted to talk about with that.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, sorry. I. This got brought up a little bit when we reviewed Tomorrowland. Uh, because a lot of the discussion within yeah, you know, one of the things that got brought up with that was that Tomorrowland had what people referred to as good CGI I fundamentally disagree with the premise that it had good, first of all that it had good CGI there was an article I read uh, sp- it, citing specifically Tomorrowland but dealing with some other stuff as well Truly good CGI is indistinguishable from a real-life shot. And in that sense, again, Tomorrowland falls flat on its face. I mean, honestly, the two best uses of CGI I've seen this year in theaters come from this one and Mad Max. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, there are... A couple of sequences in Mad Max that were, and all of almost all of the effects in Mad Max are practical, all the stunts and the set pieces. But they never filmed in a canyon. Any of that stuff done in canyons or you know, with the mountains within the background and whatnot, the mountains are not actually there; they are done digitally. Again, I had no idea watching it. I and that that to me is, you know, if I don't notice it, that's good CGI. Right. There is a middle level of CGI that is acceptable where you can tell it's done with a computer, but you kind of roll with it because they put a lot of effort into it. And then there's bad CGI, which I hate with a burning desire. There are whole sequences in the good dinosaur that, I don't think I almost feel like they weren't done digitally. I feel like some of these, you know, lo, you know, sweeping what would be helicopter shots, they just had helicopter shots of, you know, spaces of mountains in the Grand Tetons and then digitally put their characters over it and I again, I can't tell you which one it is. And that is good CGI stuff that you cannot distinguish from from you can't distinguish digital from real that's when they've that's exceeding when it comes to computer generated images and this is hands down I think the best animated movie from a visual perspective I mean maybe ever I have a really hard time trying to think of any other animated movies that looked this good this is a beautiful movie
1: no, additional. I would, uh, absolutely agree with that. I mean, just look at some of its predecessors. Uh, you know, Peanuts was stylized. Throw that right out. That was supposed to be. Let's take a comic book and animate the comic book. Um, yeah. So, so forget it. You know, it did its job, but its job was to not look realistic. It was to look like a peanuts com- comic. Minions was very cartoony. Maybe it was supposed to be. But it, you know, it looked like a cartoon. It it looked over the top. It looked very animated. There, at no point are you like, "Ooh, you know, this was shot in a real set or some shit like that." It, you know, it was what it was. Um, inside Out is very colorful and it looks pretty. It has, a, it, has a, it has an enormous rainbow quality like color palette, but that's just it. You can't. No one's looking at Inside Out and going, "Ooh, did they shoot this on a set?" No, it's a fucking animated feature. <laughs> you
0: know? did they actually um, go to San Francisco for any of the. You no, know, it, it, that never comes up.
1: <laughs> no, um, everybody's animated. No one's looking realistic. Um, so you would have to go to some of the you know CGI movies where there's a lot of outdoor stuff, and and and, I, and I, so I go back to a lot of the DreamWorks, you know, like Kung Fu Panda or the Penguins of Madagascar, or Madagascar, none of that looks particularly real. It all looks like animated cartoons. And again, I'm not knocking anybody. That may have been the intent. But Pixar, I feel like with The Good Dinosaur, the goal was to uh, up the ante with the CGI, to see what they could do with it, to really push the boundaries, and make it look like an animated feature shot An animated feature with matte paintings in the background of, you know, uh, more matte photographs of real life landscapes. Because that's how it felt to me. It it felt like, it it felt more like Pete's Dragon and Who Framed Roger Rabbit than it did uh, a strictly animated feature. And that is a hell of an accomplishment for the people who good the CGI for Pixar. I mean, so, cgi know like
0: thundercloud, developing thunderclouds, how they mm-hmm. develop, I don't even want to imagine what a pain that was to do.
1: Well, I mean, if you look at it, like, I didn't see it in 3D or anything saw not it in 2D, but I would have loved to have actually seen this in 3D uh, because you could actually see layers in the film. You know, if you saw, let's say, Arlo's paw, in the grass, it didn't look flat. It looked like it looked like a three a three D landscape with his hand in the brush, his paw in the brush, things like yeah. that. Every everything looked very layered. Everything looked um, you know when water was rushing. If I had you know if I had just shut my eyes and opened them and saw water rushing in that movie, I would have thought it was real. Like I was watching a, a, a live action uh, feature. It looks that good. So, in terms of the technical aspects of this movie, it's tour de force. And I feel like they focus so much on the technical aspects that the story came kind of secondary. Like I said, it's just an average story. And I, and I don't no, mean I, to I, I, it, like it, how you react I
0: disagree personally. with you saying it's The Lion King because The Lion King, look, The Lion King is Hamlet dumbed down for children. <laughs> Okay, and I have I have debated that point to death with other people, and at the end of the day, I know I'm right, so I'm happy to do so.
1: Well, let's go back a sec because I keep saying I say Lion King because essentially what you have is you have you have a kid with an issue, the parent dies, and that spawns the kid's uh, journey, and he has to you know find his inner whatever. Simba Simba had to grow up basically and And learn responsibility and take on uh the responsibility of the kingdom uh like an adult, and he had to get over his guilt for his perceived uh perceived responsibility in his father's death. I know he didn't actually he wasn't actually responsible, but he thought he was, and certainly scar led him to believe as such. If you can come up with a better label for this kind of story fine but but again. I, I'm not getting into minute details here. I'm talking about the bro- the broad brushes are the same. You know, the broad brush the broad brush
0: strokes are very similar. And again, I disagree, but it's not like i it's not a hill I'm gonna die on. You know, it's just about perspectives. Uh as far as again, as far as the Lion King goes, again, it's Hamlet. King murdered by his brother. Uh Son spurred on to take revenge by the ghost of his father, and they simplified it. They removed, you know, Gertrude's duplicitousness. They dumbed down Hamlet's guilt and suicidal tendencies and all that stuff. Excised a couple of superfluous characters, replaced them with Disney ones. Started Simba as a kid, which is what he would have been anyway in Hamlet, but that particular discussion aside.
1: And again, I'm, t- I'm trying to think of another movie that starts the same way. You have a father and a son. The dad dies. Son goes on an adventure. Uh, I, I, I it's not day. an
0: uncommon trope in Western movie, and again, westerns.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: one that comes to my mind right off the top of my head, and I very much doubt anyone else is going to get this, but uh, the Man from Snowy River
1: comes to mind. Um, John Beefus from Commercial Appeal, of Memphis, Tennessee, wrote this on Rotten Tomatoes. Motivated by the archetypal Disney trauma, this odd coming-of-age adventure is part Frontier Survival Saga, part Vision Quest, and part point three. Okay. Um, I guess coming-of-age adventure uh, makes sense in, in terms of looking for a label for this thing. I got, I, I'm sorry. I, I can't get away from The Lion King. And I understand what no, you're no, saying no, about Ammon, Again,
0: know. no, no. It, it's not... The Lion King is probably the best-known movie that is going to fall within these same basic parameters. And that's fine. Again, my disagreement comes from you know, going not even like five steps further, but maybe one step further. And again, it's again, it's not a hill I'm going to die on. It's not like, no, you are wrong. How dare you believe so? No, it's not that at all.
1: Here are some of the um I always like to read the rotten reviews. Here's a few. A plotting, punitive morality tale that owes less to whimsy of Toy Story and more to the mental tradition of cautionary cautionary deter fables. That's Violet Lavoie from All Movie. Here's one. <sighs> this comes from Kevin Marr of The Times UK. The Good Dinosaur is the animation behemoth Pixar at its most formulaic and uninspired. Okay? It's a very mean way of saying everything I've already said.
0: Um, No, its most formulaic and uninspired was Cars 2, and I've been over that. Boys like Cars.
1: At no point
0: did I say I don't understand why.
1: Burl Burlingame, Honolulu, Star Advertiser. Well, I can certainly marvel at the realistic computerized water in a movie. But like I said earlier, I don't go to the movies to marvel at computerized water. I'll go fuck yourself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good grief! I didn't even have to say it. Thank you, Mark. You are welcome.
1: Donovan Romney from Film Comment magazine, written by Meg LeFavre and with her son. And others credited on story. The Good Dinosaur features the most mundane narrative of any Pixar film. Mundane because it's so blatantly aspired to mythic resonance. Uh, Joe Espino, the young folks, there is little original or even charming in this film. The tone of the film is extremely scattered, ranging from innocuously innocent to verbally visceral. I don't know if I just if I agree with that.
0: I um, most certainly don't. Uh, look, this movie has issues. There's a couple I want to get out of the way. First of all, you know the story is again—it's every frontier Western coming-of-age story ever, by and large. So, in its bare bones, it is not exactly groundbreaking. Uh, The story also suffers because Tsar is—they have been known to—and I have to applaud them in some ways for this. If someone, if a writer, a director, or whatnot, has an idea and he starts working on it and it's not fleshing out or coming together, they have other people they can bring on. That particular director can move on to something else. And they don't mind, you know, reimagining and rehashing things. And this is, an, to a large part, this benefits the animated movies because. You don't have to get too far into the process to realize that maybe, okay, things aren't quite working here, let's reset. Whereas, you know, if you've invested $100 million into a film and then no way Josh Trang is an incompetent artistic boob, you're kind (laughs) of screwed. You, You know, there's not a whole lot you can do at that point. You have to release something. You can't start from square one with the good dinosaur a lot of the original you know the realization of some of the basic story elements was not quite coming together uh you know they had different characters they uh i mean originally dinosaurs had like a fully realized uh, human society into you know, where we are now basically instead of what they wound up with in this movie Arlo wanted to be an entomologist, and his family was not supportive of it. I mean, there's a lot of things that got changed because it just wasn't quite gelling. Now, on the one hand, this is a good thing because the movie idea is not scrapped. You don't get a half-assed product. But you can tell when movies go through that process at Pixar. Because there is inevitably some kind of artistic scarring. I mean, for as much as the talk about you know what what to compare this to in the Pixar you know filmography, I think this is much a much stronger comparison to be made to something like Brave than to you know some of their again okay. less
1: uh, because um, Brave is parent, another one that just got rehashed there. I was just saying, instead of dying, the parent turns into a bear, and she has to fix the damage she's caused um, and, you know, and find the stuff within. Okay, you know, I can see that.
0: And, uh, I mean, even artistically, I think that's a slightly stronger comparison than, you know, some of Pixar's stuff, uh, they've actually, you know, prior to Inside Out, they were in a bit of a slump. Uh, let me... I need to find their list of...
1: I got it. You keep
0: talking. Hey, I, I need to just find their like. Where is it? I got it, man. Relax. Okay. Okay. So, just kind of going backwards. Uh, for, okay. so again, Inside Out comes along and reminds everyone okay, well, that phenomenal films. So,
1: so the last, not counting this year, okay? Because this year they were they returned to form. So, starting yeah. in two thousand thirteen. Right? Their last five movies. Monsters University, crap. <laughs> Brave Crap's a bit uh,
0: strong, but certainly a lesser effort. Uh
1: Brave w- Brave split a lot of people. I mean I liked Brave, but I couldn't I there, there were a lot of people that didn't know what to make of Brave. Um Cars 2 is great if you're if you're a boy child. Other than that, Cars 2 is like, great
0: if you are a male of less than seven.
1: <laughs> I just
0: said that. Cars two is nothing but a cash grab.
1: Um so you keep saying. <laughs> then you're toy then you have Toy Story Three, which is amazing.
0: Yeah, um, and after Toy Story Three was when they had kind of a slump. I mean, Toy Story Three is just well, let's phenomenal.
1: Go, let's go back even further than that, okay? So you have um starting with Toy Story, right? Your Toy Story, great. Bug's Life, good. Toy Story 2. Better, you know, better. Monsters Inc. Great. Finding Nemo. Great. The Incredibles. Great. Cars. Okay. Ratatouille. Great. Wall-E is some people's favorite Pixar movie ever.
0: Wall-E is great. Um, never saw it.
1: Let me really? But no, no,
0: Wall-E is like
1: legitimately a glorious movie. One day I will make my kids sit through it, and I will do so as well. Um, then you get to Up, which is a really weird picture. You know, I'm not going through the whole Rattledidge family <laughs> fiasco. <laughs> it's fucking Up again, but Up was Up was one of those movies where people again didn't know what to make of it. You know, like somebody said recently, like, how the hell is this? How how the hell is Up for children? Like, what part of Up um, is for kids? Like, well, the dog is for kids, like, the little Boy Scouts for kids. It's it's a weird movie, uh, but then they come back strong with Toy Story three, which is which is you know probably the the pinnacle of Pixar. Um, then they then they sink to the bottom. <laughs> they go from the they literally get to the top of the mountain with Toy Story three and walk off the fucking cliff because the next one is Cars two. <laughs> yeah. Um, they dust they dust themselves off with Brave. They take a deep breath with Monsters University and they jump to the top of the mountain again with Inside Out and then they proceed to climb back down with the good dinosaur.
0: Yeah. Uh, again, even Pixar's misses tend to be good movies. Fundamentally, again, Cars 2 being the massive exception. Uh, and this one, it falls kind of squarely in the middle of the
1: Pixar pack. Oh my god. Cars 2 is a 39% on Rotten Tomatoes. But it's Cars, two is, eight minutes. Cars 2
0: is an awful movie. Taken as a movie, bear in mind. It has a weak so, plot. Its characters are not fleshed out. The writing is the poorest Pixar has ever produced. There's very little there of narrative, of artistic, of cinematic value. It is there to get six-year-old boys... To watch the movie and then buy the product,
1: and it so succeeds at
0: that on every level.
1: The Rotten Tomatoes um, score, um, if you go, if you put it in order, Toy Story 100%, Toy Story 2 100%, Finding Nemo 99, Toy Story 3 99. Um, so finding Nemo and
0: Toy Story 3 should have been 100%. There's like one miserable malcontent out there who just decided that I want attention, so I'll post a negative review.
1: Up 98, Inside Out 98, The Incredibles 97, Monsters Inc. 96, Ratatouille 96, WALL-E 96, A Bug's Life 92, and then we get into the shit category, Brave, (laughs) Monsters University, The Good Dinosaur, Cars and Cars 2 range from uh, 78% to 39%. Actually, all of the ones except for Cars 2 are in the 70s. They're all either 78 or 76 or 74. Yeah, again, and then Cars, Car, Pixar Cars has only 2. made
0: one objectively bad movie.
1: <laughs> oh, that's funny. On Metacritic, it's 57 out of 100. <laughs> I am legitimately amused by this. All right, let's. let's... <laughs> but I'll tell you what, their cinema score, which is, as you pointed out to people, is just strictly based on your casual moviegoers. Nothing got nothing gets less than an A minus and the one that got the A minus is Cars two. Again,
0: Cars Two, for as much as I harp on it critically and intellectually, artistically, cinematically, and objectively, appealed very well to its audience. If you had a six year old or so kid and you had to kill ninety minutes,
1: <clears throat>
0: hey, Cars two and everyone will be happy. And over Yeah, because it's a great movie it, in a great franchise that had nothing but goodwill attached to it. And uh, three also had the benefit of, you know, being so much later than one. By the time you got to three, you know, a lot of people my age had kids who could go see it. So you show them one and two and then you go see three as a family.
1: Cars 2 got nominated for nothing.
0: Cause it deserved nothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, take me home, Jeeves. All right.
0: Um. Okay. My, since I mentioned that, uh, the stor the story here has a few scars. Uh, there's a couple of scenes that are
1: unnecessary.
0: That's what I said. Uh, they could have minutes out of
1: this movie easily. You know, this isn't this isn't uh, Transformers: Age of Extinction where you really needed more scenes. This you could have. You could have
0: cut them. forty minutes out of that <laughs> movie, and you and I talked about that.
1: Tweaking your nipples, man. We're all went free. I'm just tweaking your nipples. Uh,
0: no, this one, at the very least, I think five minutes. Uh, there's a scene where they eat fermented fruit, that, seriously, and they then you know become a little bit intoxicated. <laughs>
1: Yep, yeah, that needed to go. My that kids are looking have, at me like, what the fuck are we watching? That could
0: have easily gone. Uh, there, uh, But on the whole, I mean, again, the story itself is not great. It's not groundbreaking. It's not the best written thing Pixar's ever produced. That's still probably inside out from just a writing perspective. But... It's a solid addition into, you know, what Pixar does. It appeals to kids and you know, as an adult you can watch this and still be entertained by it. Uh this was another there was this was another movie where there were a couple of times I laughed and like the rest of the theater did not and I I always feel weird about that because and I don't know if it's sometimes I understand why it is. Sometimes it's an intellectual joke. That goes over the heads of other people, uh sometimes it's something that's maybe not meant to be funny, but because i'm because I don't mind watching people fall downstairs. I laugh at it. I mean that type of thing but this was this is a again it's a solid Pixar movie. You know what you're getting into at this point. I have very few again my my complaints about this are twofold and they have nothing to do with the movie one. The asteroid that impacted the Earth was not the sole cause for the extinction of the dinosaurs. That's It contributed. I'm, ver- I'm relatively sure. It, it wasn't. Hang on. Did it contribute? Sure. We know where we got hit. We know the effects of it.
1: They can were already dying out because,
0: own. hey, the climate was changing. Wait, are you telling can me you that climate change is not something that only humans do? Yes, you miserable narcissist. Can you please
1: start your own web show? You, you need to bring back Mr. Wizard, and you be Mr. Wizard.
0: Uh, I have no idea what that
1: is. You don't know Mr. Wizard? I do not. There's a, there's... All right. Um, you don't watch Big Bang Theory either. Shit. No, um, I don't. <laughs> I don't know what would have been a good comparison for your for your generation, but there was a show, I think it was on Nickelodeon, where it was like a science guy doing stuff for kids. Um, but that was the show. Here, I'll, I'll send you the link. So, yeah, you, you need your... You need your own YouTube show, and you need to bring back Mr. Wizard.
0: I will file that under, you know, duly taken under consideration. My other gripe is turning Spot into a dog. Uh, Humans are not quadrupedal. Have never been, will never be, not physiologically possible.
1: Good grief.
0: (laughs) Again, I said at the top of this, my complaints have nothing to do with the movie itself. I'm well aware of this. So, again, those are my only complaints. Perpetuates an inaccurate line of thought, and humans can't be quadruped. Again, that's my major complaint. You know, the movie itself is consistent within its own universe. Is it groundbreaking? No. Is it the best written thing? No. But it's solid. I have no complaints about the writing. I have no complaints about, you know, plot holes or things of that nature. So my complaints are strictly limited to external things in this instance.
1: You know, I'm sitting here and I'm making fun of you about that. And I'm like, oh my God, again with this, you know, shut up. Just let let the movie be what it wants to be. But even my wife and I walked out of the movie going, so the dinosaurs didn't evolve in a way that gave them opposable thumbs. They're still walking on hooves, but they're farming. And somehow or other, humans evolved into dogs and I, and we both were like, we both kind of raised an eyebrow about that. And then we immediately, we immediately told each other to just shut up. It's a kid's movie.
0: (laughs) Which is why again, my complaints are not necessarily valid.
1: And I really um, acknowledge
0: that in this instance.
1: Between now and the end of the year, if you've got kids um, if you're it an adult I would I was gonna say if you're an adult uh and you're looking for some of the masterful Pixar stuff that brings you to the theater to watch it, you can skip this one. You're not missing anything if you've got kids, go see it the kids will- the kids will enjoy it. Go get popcorn during the scene where they get high <laughs> uh
0: yeah it's this is not. This does not reach the heights of, again, other Pixar movies like the Toy Story Trilogy or Inside Out or Up in many ways. Or Cars. But it – Cars does not reach anything. Well, no, let me rephrase. <laughs> Cars 2 does not reach anything. The first, Cars, is a perfectly acceptable uh, low-grade <laughs> low, low grade Pixar movie. It takes so little to get you going. <laughs> <laughs>
1: little, well, yes.
0: I, in some ways, I am easy to troll in that
1: respect. I'll freely admit it. All right, Nick. take me home, James.
0: All right. Uh, next week, what are you doing next week, Mark? Is that our year-end show?
1: Nope. We are next Wednesday. We are off unless you decide you want to review something. Um, uh, given the, I will
0: have a look at what comes out and see if anything strikes my fancy.
1: We went over this already. There's
0: nothing. Um. Um, there's nothing that I was going to necessarily make you watch that if you weren't <laughs> interested in. Hang on. Uh,
1: movies opening this week. So here's here's what's opening. Uh, Macbeth, Krampus, MI Five, Spooks, The Greater Good, The Lady in the Van, Youth, Hitchcock Tripod, Uh, Chick Rock, which is the new Spike Lee movie. Go see that. You should. You should. No. You, Robert, you should review a Spike Lee movie because I know that's your bag.
0: Uh, that will end so badly for everyone involved. No, the other movie that I'm going to see uh, prior to the Force, prior to the Force Awakens, is not one we'll be reviewing. Which is fine.
1: What movie?
0: I'm going to go. I want to see In the Heart of the Sea. I may regret it, but I want to.
1: Oh, you see, if, uh when does that come out? In the Heart of the Sea.
0: Eleventh.
1: In the Heart of the Sea with Thor. Um, I'm a a
0: Chris Hemsworth fan, what can I say?
1: It's a biography
0: about uh, Herman Melville, and we'll deal with the real-life incident uh, events that inspired Moby Dick.
1: Well, I mean, if you want to do the year-end review on the 9th, and then you want to review In the Heart of the Sea on the 16th with with, uh, someone else, because I'm not going to get a chance to see it, uh, be my guest.
0: Nah, our current schedule's fine. I mean, again, nothing since nothing else of, you know, a lot of value is coming out at that point, we'll take next week right. off, then proceed as planned. No big deal.
1: Yep. All right, so next Wednesday, we're off. No show. Um, the 16th, we're doing a year-end review. It's going to be a little different than you might think. We're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about movies, but we're really going to examine the year in studios. Uh, we're going to look at what movies were released by what studios. We're going to look at budgets. We're going to look at bombs in terms of um, we're going to split it up. There's critical bombs and then there's financial bombs because some movies, everyone could have gone to see it, but everyone thought it was terrible. So there were a lot of bombs this year and a lot of financial bombs. And so we're going to look at which studios... Because um, you know, Universal, for example, had some had monster hits, Jurassic World and Fast and the Furious 7. They're also the ones that distributed Gem and the Holograms. Which took a, you know, which was a massive loss. Um, so, you know, we're going to look at stuff like that, and we'll we'll see which studio did the best overall between hits and losses, and it's which, uh, be which studio gets <laughs> and which studio gets the booby prize. And this is all before Star Wars comes out, so it's, so everything we talk about is going to change a week later.
0: But um, the only thing the only thing that's going to keep star Wars from knocking everything off of the top earners list of the year is the short time before the year officially ends. Right.
1: Um, so we'll, we'll review the force awakens on the 23rd. I may or may not be putting up extra content. Um, I know I do want to spend, we're going to spend some of that show talking about not just the movie itself, but I'll talk a little bit about the after party that I'm going to at Hollywood studios that Disney put together and my experience with that. Um, and share whatever thoughts my friend Tom had who uh a lifelong friend both both huge Star Wars fans um, if you go back into the archives we did a long road to ruin on which one was better Re- Return of the Jedi or Revenge of the Sith uh, and him and I got into one of our more famous arguments about that and then Can on we December just say they're 30th, both equal levels of crap?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. But which one was crappier? Um, what part of
0: equal uh, levels I- of crap did you mention? <laughs> equal equal in terms of crappiness
1: December look, December 30th uh is our last review of the year and that's going to be Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful 8. Um meanwhile back which in the I city, may or may not be
0: lobbying uh to re- have replaced
1: I'm going to see it, no matter what. I love Quentin Tarantino.
0: Uh no, it just comes out the same time as The Revenant and I'm not sure which I mean I understand we'll be reviewing hatefully Eight. I'm going to personally, I think, prefer The Revenant. But, uh, yeah, the end of the year actually is pretty good for movies. There's a few good ones that are coming out. And then there's, you know, Will Smith with an African accent.
1: No one's going to see that movie. Um, Look, <laughs> Americans I'll do run. not
0: like the reality that football is, A, a crappy sport, and, B, riddled with corruption and inconsistencies by the NFL.
1: And I can't wait to sign my son up for Pee Wee football. Now then, before Robert makes a brain damage joke about my son that will irritate me, on Thursday, December 3rd. Your son
0: will never reach a high enough level in football, amateur or professional, where brain damage will be an issue.
1: You don't know that. He could very well be good enough to get brain damage.
0: <laughs> and now you're arguing your son is good enough to be concussed repeatedly. And I'm commit suicide saying. at the age of 40.
1: No, leave my son alone. He's good. You're the one who
0: made that argument. I said it would never happen.
1: All right. December 3rd, Long Road to Ruin, our final show of the year. We're looking at the Mighty Ducks. Quack, quack. On on December 4th, my father is bringing over the new couches. That's none of anyone's business. And Melissa and I are going to see NXT in Largo, uh, St. Petersburg, uh, Pinellas County. I'm just reading my calendar off at this point on Saturday December 5th Jonas has gymnastics now moving right along um on, on Thursday at 10:30 uh the final metal hammer of doom of the year heavy source ray halista which is their christmas album it's going to be fantastic and uh like we said we have all the uh, we have the two reviews that we're doing And then we're done. Um, I'm also going to be at UFC Fight Night Dos Anjos versus Donald Cerrone. Go get you some. And my wife and I will be in the audience yelling, get you some, Donald Cerrone. I weep for
0: those who are sitting around you.
1: (laughs) It's going to be great.
0: Uh well, it's gonna be great until Cerrone gets choked out in the second round. Just a
1: thought. Nothing can go home early.
0: Hey, you're gonna be happy once uh, Dos Anjos knocks Overeem's head into the third row, and you have a good chance of catching it.
1: That's true. Let him go home with Overeem's head. That would be that, that would be great. I'll put it on my wall.
0: I mean, his family will try to sue for custody of it, so it can be returned to the body, that will then have to be buried. But
1: what? What is it? Possession is nine tenths of the law.
0: That's actually not how that phrase goes.
1: Whatever. Possession is nine
0: points of the law. Uh, keep, so, exactly. Our culture has completely distorted that phrase and its meaning. It, it just.
1: So, bad. when are you doing another? Everyone loves a bad guy, Robert.
0: Oh, you're trying to get me away. Uh, um, I think I should have one this Friday. Ah. Uh, With Krampus coming out and all, you know, why not look at various holiday-themed villains? Because Santa's been evil a couple of times. There's a couple of uh, movies that deal with serial killers that take on the role of Santa. Why
1: don't you just limit it to evil Santa or evil Christmas?
0: Well, yeah, that's kind of what I mean. I mean, I'm not going to talk about you know, evil you know, evil acts that happen to be committed on Christmas because I'd spend an hour talking about Hans Gruber and completely ignore saying, the like,
1: You know, don't get into Easter. Don't get into Labor Day. You know, just, no, no, just, it, it will, will be problem. limited
0: to Christmas. Although, Save. the uh, the Labor Day slasher is one of the greatest fictional villains of all time.
1: Wait till fucking next Labor Day then, for God's you sake. You don't, don't know if I'm or to... not. <laughs> just saying... Be synergistic. It will
0: focus on, again, the year-end holidays. Might talk about Golem a little bit, because you know, I assume there's at least one person who's Jewish who listens who would appreciate the Golem being discussed.
1: My wife is making me celebrate Hanukkah. I don't know why she's Protestant.
0: Uh, alrighty then.
1: (laughs) So, (laughs) <laughs> theme music. I,
0: I got nothing for that alright so again we're off next week we'll be back the week after that for a discussion of finances within the movie business we will look at why some productions ballooned how some failed so miserably even on small budgets, Jim in the Holograms I'm looking squarely at you no movie with a, with a wide release should be a financial failure with a $5 million budget it just shouldn't happen all right until next time everybody um oh real briefly you can find me uh every sunday at 8 p.m eastern standard time hosting the 411 ground and pound radio show this week man the ufc is trying to overwork me because uh <laughs> this coming sunday uh myself and jeff harris at We'll be previewing, and that show takes live callers. Call-in information is given out at the top of the show if you want to call in and ask questions, get your opinion out there, things of that nature. Uh, We'll be previewing three shows. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. December 10th, 11th, and 12th, there are UFC events. The 10th is a fight night headlined by Paige Van Zandt and Rose Namajuna's. The 11th is the finale of the Ultimate Fighter season 22 that no one cares about, but the main event is awesome because Chad Mendez and Frankie Edgar are finally going to fight. Then the 12th is UFC 194, which is uh the big one. UFC 193 may have been the blockbuster, the Michael Bay if you will. This one is oh. going to be you know uh I don't have an appropriate response yet. The Steven Spielberg, the uh Crap. Who else makes great movies?
1: Quentin Tarantino.
0: The Coen brothers. This is going to be the fight fans card. It's a great card. Headlined by Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo. Uh, the co-main event it for the, that's for the featherweight belt. That Connor being the interim champ just makes me laugh because it shouldn't have happened. But what are you going to do? The co-main event is for the middleweight title. Chris Weidman and Luke Rockhold are going to fight it out. Uh, I'm really excited for that card, so this week we're previewing all of that. week after that we'll be reviewing all of that, so uh, yeah, come back for that one too. Anyway, on those notes, with our plugs taken care of for Mark Radlich, I am Robert Winfrey reminding everyone out there to please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.